Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. When you get in a big school of fish, that skid deck really has no idea where he wants to go. He'll go in 20 foot one way, then turn back around quickly, and, and, and you can you can really gauge. And, I'll, and that's what's kind of helped me out is gauge when those fish are about to eat. Because that skid deck, it, you know, the, the, it'll go this way, this way, this way, this way, this way, and then it, it, it gets tighter, and then it comes up to the surface. And I, do, I, I call it the circle of death. And I say, you're about to get nailed. So, you know, it's, and it's probably really similar to what you'd see, you know, in the ocean. This is Captain Billy Davis, and you're listening to the Tom Rowland Podcast. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. What's going on, everybody? We've got an awesome guest for you today. I know you hear me say that every week, but I do seek out people that I really think that you're going to enjoy. And one of the people that I've fished with in the last few years that I really, really did really enjoy fishing with, and I've fished with this guy more than once, and he's not a saltwater guy. He's a freshwater guy. Um, Melton Hill Bill. Melton Hill is a reservoir in Tennessee, and Bill is... Captain Billy Davis. Captain Billy Davis is spending over 300 days a year chasing the striped bass in Tennessee reservoirs like Melton Hill, and he's as good as they get. He um, became known or first noticed by doing uh, one of uh, Larry Dahlberg's shows. You might remember The Hunt for Big Fish. It was one of the best shows on TV, and Larry Dahlberg is certainly one of the best anglers on TV and an awesome television host. He launched the career for Captain Billy Davis, and since then he has never looked back. He had some interesting times to decide that he was going to quit his job and become a fishing guide, and it's obviously been a very good choice for him because he is – catching tons of these big striped bass. He also catches musky, and he's got some great stories and just overall super cool guy to spend the day with. If you want to uh, check him out, 
MeltonHillBill.com, M-E-L-T-O-N-H-I-L-L-B-I-L-L, MeltonHillBill.com. That's his website. You can go there and check him out and see what he does. And you know what? If that's something that you're thinking about doing, book early because he is booked all the time. The guy is fishing every single day. And he knows a few things. So we're going to find out what he knows and his story right now with Melton Hill Bill. Billy Davis, how are you, man? I'm doing good. Man, doing good. I'm glad to have you on here. You've been on the list for a long time. I've been wanting to have you on the podcast. Um, man, you're a hardworking fishing guide. I, yeah, I go as much as I can. Do you? It's, uh, I mean, I, I have heard that you fish as much as 300 days a year. Yeah, at least. Is that right? At least? Yes, sir. Yeah, we we have year-round fishing right here. You've, you've been with me out to these uh, steam plants, so you can get out there in the dead of winter, and, and the water can be 60 to 70 degrees, and those fish don't know it's January. That's awesome. They, uh, you know, there aren't that many places that you can fish 300 days a year. You certainly can in the Keys. I think maybe there's some Louisiana guys that are getting 300 days a year. Where else do you think mm-hmm. you could do it? Uh, well, shoot, I, I would think anywhere that it's got, you know, just a variety of, uh, man-made influences, you know, these dams, uh, you know, we have these series of dams and the water, a lot of times that comes out of these dams is rarely never colder than 50 degrees. So you can always have 50 degree water. Yeah. Uh, you have, uh, I, I think in Arkansas, you probably have some situations like that where you have some deeper dams. Uh, you know, I think that's uh, the man-made influences really help, you know, yeah. establish our fisheries here. So for sure. Well, 300 days was always a, a big benchmark for me. That was like, if you could get to 300 days, there were a couple of things going on, right? First of all, you're in a fishery that can support it. Secondly, You've you've got something there that is drawing people all the time, right? Like the fishing has to be good enough. And then you have to be providing a level of service that's good enough that, I mean, but it's not just like you have 300 people that want to go fishing because somebody, a bunch of people want to fish on the same days. So really to book 300 days, you have to have far more people than that. So it's really a testament, uh, in my opinion, to any guide that can fish 300 days and a testament to where they're fishing. Let's, let's talk about like what you do, what, what, what is like in the course of 300 days, are you fishing mostly for stripers or do you fish for other species or what do you do? I, I fish probably 90% of the time for striped bass because we can catch them any, any day of the year. You know, these fish are cold water uh, fish, they prefer temperatures 50 to 70 degrees. So you can catch them any time of the year. Um, I, I do chase muskies every now and then I, I kind of do that in the winter time, just because it's so physically demanding fishing for muskies. It's in the dead of summertime. It is very difficult yeah. to, uh, to do that. So well, I, let's, uh, let's talk about the muskie a little bit. That's a fish sure. that I have fished for. I fished for them with you, uh, unsuccessfully. We didn't get one, but I fished for them a couple other places. And, um, they're called the fish of a, of 10,000 casts. That's what I always heard them referred to as a kid. Yep. And I always kind of wondered like for somebody that knows muskie, is that, is that right? Or is that like a l- legend? 
what I would say it's 10,000 cast. If you don't really have an idea yeah. about muskies. See, that's what I was thinking. Like it gotta be easier to catch than that for somebody that can really get it worked out. Tell me about the muskie. So they started stocking muskies here in 1998. They were originally native to Tennessee. I think when they built the dams and stuff kind of hurt their ecosystem and they, they quit reproducing. So they started stocking in 98. Now wait, is so, the muskie, uh, is the muskie a, a, a native fish to Tennessee? It is. Okay. Yes. It's native to all the rivers here. So they, and that was the uh, part of the stocking program effort was to bring back some of the, the native strain and uh, put them in reservoirs that they would thrive in. And of course, Melton Hill was the, uh, I guess the main reservoir they, they chose to, to put a lot of these in and kind of, I got lucky and, and grew up at the right time. I graduated college and started fishing uh, pretty hot and heavy and come to find out this lake is loaded with muskies. Hmm. So I was able to, uh, you know, fish around that bull run steam plant in the wintertime and, and do really well. You know, got a lot of practice with muskies. We would have, you know, follows, you know, the follows was the, the big term and right. have 30 or 40 follows in a day. And, so and what really keeps them from biting? Pardon me? What keeps them from biting? You're getting 40 follows, but you can't close the deal. Like, what? what's the well, problem? We closed the deal a lot. Oh. Yeah, it was you know, as pressured fishing. We didn't know what we were doing with the, you know, the figure eights and very limited on the, uh, the musky tackle that we had. You know, there was no musky shops or anything like that. You couldn't order hardly anything on the internet. or So, you know, we went all out just trying different things and, you know, we, we stumbled across a, a couple of bucktail lures that would really entice them. But if that's all that you had, you know, those muskies mm -hmm. do wise up and you would get a lot of follows. But, you know, as the Internet grew and, you know, early 2000s, we were able to uh, start ordering a lot of baits online. And we, uh, we figured a lot of things out, had a lot of practice and had a lot of fun. So a lot of the musky fishing that I've seen and some of the musky fishing that I did in the, in the lake in Kentucky, I went up there to try to catch them. And we were fishing with the heaviest tackle. I mean, I could have caught a, a marlin with this tackle. It was so heavy. It was like, it was the, he I mean, he told me what to bring. And I, I looked through all my stuff and I was like, man, that's the heaviest rod I got. I, I mean, I guess. And I spooled it up with like 120 pound braid. Um, and I was like, this has got to be overkill. Like this is not even fun to throw. Like what's, what's your opinion on, on that heavy so, tackle? I fish a lot of fallen timber. You know, I will pull my boat within 30 or 40 feet of a, a fallen tree. And I know that there's a muskie sitting in there. Mm -hmm. So you, you have to not only pull that muskie away from that tree because he's going to come up and grab your lure and he's going to go right back into that tree. Mm -hmm. So you have to stop that fish. So it takes these nine foot rods, these super heavy broomstick rods with hundred pound, but also that muskie will come up and they'll do the figure eight maneuver, mm -hmm. you know, just right there at the boat. And you have to have a big rod. If you're throwing some of these double bladed baits to keep your bait swimming you have to have a real heavy rod and plus when that muskie comes up and grabs it, you've got to set that hook. Cause a lot of times they will come up and grab it and just sit there mm. and you don't get that hook set. And they're going to spit it right back out. And it just takes uh, a pretty beefy rod to, uh, to, to drive those hooks home. I got it. So what are they eating regularly? Like what's their diet? 
I would think the Muskies, that, that they're going to eat whatever they can. I think, uh, you know, gizzard shad, if, if you're out, you know, roaming open water, yeah, the gizzard shad's going to kind of be, you know, if you follow the bait in the gizzard shad, you'll more than likely run into some muskies. Um, I know they eat crappie, they anything, you know, they're going to sit in these fallen trees a lot of times and just ambush. A muskie is shaped like a log. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, when I started really getting hot and heavy, I bought an Aquaview camera and I would <laughs> drop them down in these trees and you could see you can see the muskies sitting right up under these trees, you know, they, and they would just ambush, they would sit still. And, and that's how I knew, you know, how to present, you know, the baits, you wouldn't necessarily throw right up into the tree, but you would throw past the tree, pull it by. And that muskie will shoot out of that tree. And, mm. uh, it was, it was very neat to, uh, you that's know, pretty exciting. Stuff out and use some of that technology, you know, that we, we didn't quite have the uh, down imaging, and it's hard to see a muskie just on 2D sonar. But man, when you started using the Aquaview camera and, you know, you could see them, you could figure out, yeah, these things are laying right here. If you make this cache, you should get it to come out. That's cool, man. We figured a lot of that stuff out. So it was a lot of fun. That's cool. And then, yeah. why, I mean, the muskie, the muskie fishing is obviously really good. Why is it that you're spending 90% of your time chasing the striped bass? Because I can go out and catch muskies. My buddies can go out and catch muskies with me. But no <laughs> offense. A lot of the guys that I would take, and I'm sure you ran into this too, can't make that cast. Right. You know, I knew how long I could, I could throw to this treetop, count two and a half seconds, and then pull my bait out. But if you don't, I mean, you're, you're trying to hit an area the size of a hula hoop, you know, from 50 foot out. And if you can't do it, it's like, you know tarping on a fly if you miss the shot you miss the shot right and with muskies you know it, it, it's just uh it's too it's too stressful for me as a fishing guy mm-hmm. yeah you know, i would go out there we we make all these casts do all this effort the guys get lazy you know they're not a lot, of, a lot of them in shape they can't physically do it and here comes this muskie you finally get this muskie to follow you in and they don't do a figure eight maneuver or they <laughs> pull the lure out of the water so yeah so then it's kind of like, man, these people would like, yeah. like the stripers just as much as this muskie and it, and we're going to be able to well, get that I done. Started, yeah. I started taking those same guys, you know, they would spend 20 minutes saying, oh, we can't do this. And I said, well, let's go catch some, uh, skipjacks and float them for stripers. And every one of them would be like, oh, this is, this is awesome. This is so much more fun. So it's, it's a lot less demanding. Yeah. Well, I mean, not to take anything away from either either type of fishing but the the striper fishing that i've done with you is awesome it is oh, it yeah. is fantastic yeah, it's closest, and it, it's the closest thing we have to uh going out on the coast and you know i know i mean bait. you're 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 really fishing mostly with with live bait i guess we've always done it with live bait i love fishing with live bait because it's very very uh, what you're doing is very similar to a lot of saltwater fishing situations that we find ourselves in and then you're fishing for a fish that I mean, a, a true trophy fish. I mean, you could catch a fish 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds with you. And um, that's that's really awesome. I mean, that is a good fishery and you have, you really have it down. And that's, that's where we're going back to, you know, to be able to book 300 days a year, you have to have something that is such a draw 
that you bring, you know, there's, there's thousands of people that want to go fishing with you. Not, not 300 because you, you know, lots of them want to go on the same day, same weekend, whatever. So in order to keep booking those days and stay booked like that, you're obviously doing a whole lot of things, right? And if you go to your website, which is Melton Hill Bill, I I, I suggest that you should go there. It's pretty cool. There are just pictures. I I like how you have it, like all the different years of stripers. So it's not like, this is like a fluke. Like it's like you can go yeah, back right. years and you can see the kind of fish that you're producing. It's really cool. So what is yeah. it about the striper that, that, um, that captivated you? Everybody's got like a, like a story about either their first one or one that, that just, what is it about that fish that you're, that you find so interesting? Well, I grew up around uh, the Bull Run steam plant on Melton Hill Lake, and it had produced several state record sized fish. At uh, one time, it held the world record 55 pounds, and then it went back and forth with a, uh, a, a lake in Middle Tennessee called Cordell Hole. And, uh, and 65 is now the, the state record, but at one time, Melton Hill held the state record 63 pound striper. So, and I grew up hearing about all these, and, you know, I, uh, course would fish around the bull run steam plant and it just captivated me um i went there and saw how the guys you know fished for them and you know it just kind of lit a fire under me i uh tried several different methods to try to get them but i I come to find out the the live bait is uh i guess the easiest i was uh i guess uh i got into a little white bass fishing too and i'll give you the short story we uh would fish on several lakes around town, catching little white bass on Zara spooks and Zara puppies, just the real little um, two to three pound uh, white bass. Mm-hmm. And I snuck out to Milton Hill one day. I was probably still in college and was just, uh, you know, noticed some bait balls, you know, just kind of getting work. I said, oh, that looks interesting. So I started throwing the, the little Zara puppy and uh, I probably had, I don't know, he could have been a 35 pounder, just come up and inhale that little uh, Zara puppy and spooked me, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, ah, so this is what it's all about. That was probably the first time I'd ever felt the true power uh, of a striper, you know, and it was on 12 pound test on a topwater lure. And I was like, wow. oh gosh, this, this is what I was meant to do. So I kind of, you know, quit everything else and, and decided I was uh, not going to bass fish. I was going to chase stripers. Yeah. And, and then how did that translate into guiding for them? So um, I actually started out as a musky fishing guide. I was, um, you know, there were so many other striper guides around that, you know, I, uh, I was like, hey, I'm going to do something different. So I would, uh, you know, like I said, back in 98, they started stocking these muskies. So 2003 is when we really, really started targeting the muskies. And I noticed that there was the local musky club that, it met at the Gander mountain and I joined that club and I was one of the younger guys, but had caught a lot of fish compared to a lot of these older guys were from up North and, and they musky fish their whole life. So they would run this club. And then I, I was this young 23 year old guy that mentioned the idea that, well, you need to have a website, you know, and this was the 2004, 2005 discussion forum started to take off. So I was, and they the old timers didn't want to do a website. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, I'll do my own. So I started up this website, tnmuskies.org, 
and you know, we had the, the group chat and we would start sharing photos and stuff. This was all kind of new technology. And yeah, the guys up North would say, Hey, who's the local muskie guy down there? There wasn't one. I'll do it. So I started <laughs> taking these guys muskie fishing out of a 16 foot jet boat, just a, you know, small little boat. And it was, it was on. We, we did good. You know, I would take mainly the guys I would take with the guys that already knew how to muskie fish. Cause you know, this was all brand new. Right. So they just went down and see the water. So well, we did pretty well. That's uh, awesome. Mainly, you know, fishing, fallen trees and, did really well. Caught a lot of muskies up to, uh, you know, 54 inches. So, you know, we, uh, we had good times. Yeah. And so did, did, did you just start your guide career and just start from there from being a muskie guide or I did you? Muskies only. Yeah, just guided muskies only for probably about three years, three to four years. And as word grew, then that's when more and more people started to come. I was just doing this part-time on the weekends and after work. Uh, what was the work? I was an environmental geologist. Environmental yeah. geologist. And is that yeah. what you studied in college? Yeah, I was a, I was a, a geology major in college. And I, my ultimate plan was to uh, work with my uncle down in Louisiana. He, uh, he's a petroleum geologist down there and makes the big bucks. And I was like, that's what I want to do. So I was, I was all gung-ho on getting my degree, going down there and fishing and, and working as a geologist until my junior year and I had a son. Mm. So that kind of <laughs> put a, a wrinkle in things because his mama was not going to move to Louisiana. Yeah. So, I so, I like, well, I'm stay here. so then what you, you stay there and, and, stay here and found a job, found a job in, in, in the environmental field, which was totally different than what I was wanting to do. But, uh, you know, I worked out in Oak Ridge at a, uh, environmental consulting business. And I drove by the Oran steam plant every single day. You know, I would, I would drive by that steam plant and uh, there's a road that goes right by. And there's some days I would be sitting on the bridge looking down at the steam plant, seeing the, the stripers go nuts. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal, develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super-fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Wow. You know, so I, I was drawn to that area and it was, uh, it made it very difficult to go to work. <laughs> so in my job, I, I got off work early. I would start, I, I bought a, a little 16 foot boat and I would pull my boat to work with me. And as soon as I got off work, man, I'm raced and got to, to the water. And you already knew what was happening. Because of the ride over. <laughs> yeah, I knew. I knew the skid jacks were there. I knew, you know, I, I could tell, you know, and that's a, you know, they don't publish when that steam plant's running. You have to drive by and look. And I mean, I drove by it every day. So I knew, I knew when it was going to come on. You could, you could tell just by the steam and stuff that would come out of certain pipes. Be like, oh man, this thing's going to fire up in about two or three days. So yeah, I got to, you know, 
really figure things out. I, you know, I was, uh, figured out well before anybody else. And I would go in there and catch fish two weeks before anybody else would even figure it out. Hmm. You know, so and I kind of got, the, uh, <laughs> I got to get the first run and uh, wear them out before anybody else really even show up, showed up to, uh, to catch them. That's cool. And so you're, yeah. you're, um, you're doing this kind of, uh, after work and, and you're, you're smoking them and everything. When, mm-hmm. when do you decide that you're going to not do that job anymore and you're going to guide? Because at some point you have to, you have to, you know, to, to guide 300 days a year, you got to get rid of that job somehow. Yeah. That's pretty interesting well, it, to me because the, a lot of people that listen to this podcast are thinking about doing that in some way, shape or form, going into the retail business or being a hunting guide or being a fishing guide. And some of the mm-hmm. most interesting stories that I've had on this podcast have been about people's decision to to make that move. So what what, what was that like for you? Well, I got my big break, I guess, back 2010 got to fish with Larry Dahlberg on the hunt for big fish Nice, and was fortunate enough to really, really do well. Landed 50 inch muskies. You had a real good show that was, you know, kind of based off the uh, over harvesting of muskies around that steam plant. So that the show had kind of a, uh, uh, you know, it, it had a message behind it and we caught a lot of fish. So it was well received, but then we also did a striper video and we smacked them. We went down <laughs> below that dam and, and, and used all artificials and proved that, yeah, we can. I mean, you can have really, really good days. So when those uh, episodes uh, aired, they were on uh, NBC Sports. Mm. You know, I guess he had a big deal and he, it was actually everybody saw him. And those episodes were so good, they replayed them. I don't know how many times, a dozen times, two dozen times. I don't know. But and I was just doing this part-time at the time, but the demand for guiding was out the roof, you know, a thousand emails I had. And, you know, I just, uh, I I told my wife at the time, she's no longer my wife, but uh, she, uh, you know, I said, I think I can do this full time. And she says, I don't think so. She called me a dreamer. I was like, I think I can do this. And, And it got to the point to where, it was kind of silly to go to work, you know, when you, you know, you basically can raise your rates to whatever you wanted to and and you make more in a weekend than you would make all week at work. That's when it gets to the point say, I can't do this anymore. So, you know, but you, you, the demand has to be there because it is a big leap, Yeah, you know, to start any business, to quit your job and start your business, whatever you do, you know, it just, it's, you know, it's a leap of faith. And, you know, I, I, I knew that I had enough people to go. I mean, all I'd have to do was book three trips a week and, you know, I, I would be okay. So it started out, you know, doing that and it's just, it's taken off and hasn't slowed down. Yeah. So, um, did you have to invest in a new boat or anything like that? Oh, yeah. or like, what was that? What was that like? Uh, you know, well, like all of a sudden you're going to be a full-time guide. Yeah. You're, well, I started out with my 16 foot boat and, 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 you know, quickly realized, man, I can only take two people. So the problem is when you try to go to the bank and say, Hey, I'm a fishing guy that charges five, you know, four to $500 a day, give me a boat loan. And they're like, Nope. Cause you write everything off. So I have uh, slowly built everything up mainly just by, uh, you know, help from my dad. He helped me get a boat, but 
you know, then over time I've, I've, I've worked and worked and worked and I've just, you know, this new boat that I just got this CR 26 foot modified V boat. I bought an empty shell, you know, $9,000 and built it out the way I wanted. Mm -hmm. So basically just pay cash for everything. So it's, uh, you know, going and I tell people all the time, I said, you're only going to get out of it what you put into it. You know, well, you seem to be putting in uh, a tremendous amount and having fished with you a, a few times now, you can see it. You're, you're a hard working guy. Where do you get your work ethic? My dad, he's uh, he does heating and air, but he's always doing something. You know, <laughs> he does not stick around whether, you know, he, he helps out in the community, loves to fish. He, he's always walleye fished, uh, you know, and just go, go, go. And that's uh you know, I've kind of wanted to do that. I, I, I can't sit around, you know, I think a lot of guides have problems, you know, ADD or what, uh, having to, you know, just being drawn out there, you know, that's, that's the thing, man. If I go a day or two without knowing, you know, it, it, it does kind of mess with my head. Cause you know, I've got a trip, you know, I, I need, and the main thing is I need to find skipjacks, right. You know, the skipjack herring is, you know, the kind of the lifeblood of my, of my guiding. That's what kind of sets me apart is, uh, being able to locate those skipjacks. And, you know, you put the skipjacks out there, that's going to tell you exactly where the strippers are. You know, you, you can spend five minutes on a spot and put a skipjack at whether they're biting or not, that skipjack will tell you where the strippers are. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of, you know, I guess any kind of bait you could chum, you know, you can chum the bait and if it takes off running, it's like, oh, yeah, there's something here. Right. And that's so what you're that's saying with it. When you put a skipjack out, you can tell where the stripers are, because even if they're not biting, they're going to chase or, or the skipjack will see them or sense them and take off. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. And you can tell, you know, just by the uh, the speed of the movement of that, that skipjack that, oh, yeah, this is where we want to be. And sometimes you've got to wait them out. But- right. They're not, they're yeah, not necessarily uh, attacking the bait right away, but they're, the nope. bait's running so fast that, you know, you know, it's like we, we, we put something down. We're like, we got a nervous bait, you know, something yep. that bait is trying to get away. We may not be getting the bite, but you know, you got a nervous bait yep. and it's a much oh, smaller yeah. bait. You know, we're feeling it. You're seeing it because mm-hmm. you're putting, oh, yeah. tell, tell, tell me about the, uh, the rig that you're using. Like when you do this skipjack, uh, just so people understand like how you're seeing this bait running and all of that and what size these baits are. So what I use, I mean, I, I, I'll go ahead and say I use a bait casting reel. I use a tranks with a, uh, you know, musky rod and I'll have braid on there most of the time. And we'll use like an eight to 12 foot liter, you know, and uh, depends on the water clarity. And then I'll use a, uh, I guess a circle hook. I use a trocar, um, circle hook and sometimes i'll put a stinger hook on there a little treble hook in the belly of the fish and we put a balloon 10 to 12 feet up and we just let them kind of float around you know they, they'll they'll swim all over you know and you basically read the, the balloon it it's going to tell you where those fish are because they'll run and you can you can tell and uh you when you get in a big school of fish, that skipjack really has no idea where he wants to go. He'll go in twenty foot one way, then turn back around quickly, and 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 you can you can really gauge. And I'll and that's what's kind of helped me out is gauge when those fish are about to eat because that skipjack it you know the the it'll go this way this way this way this way this way and then it they fall, it gets tighter and then it comes up to the surface and I do I, I call it the circle of death. 
And I said, you're about to get nailed. So, you know, it's, and it's probably really similar to what you'd see, you know, in the ocean. So. Well, yeah, for some fish, I mean, some fish are like that and other fish, other fish aren't. That seems like, it's almost like the way that like a barracuda does. It just kind of goes around and it kind of, it doesn't just attack it right away. But I mean, you'll see similar behavior with, with that or, mm-hmm. or a tarpon at night or a big snook, you know, same, sure. same kind of, same kind of thing. If you had a, a bait on a, on a, on a balloon like that or a cork or something like that. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So the herring, that's your lifeblood. And yep. this skipjack herring, is that a native fish? I think it's actually a saltwater fish that has migrated up from the Gulf of Mexico. Over the years, they have gone up the Mississippi, the Ohio, the Tennessee River. And the only place that you're going to find these skipjack herring are uh, reservoirs with locks on them. Huh. So they'll only go up. Knoxville is as high as they can go up. So yeah, you'll. Uh, I, I guess they've came here over time, but um, I believe there are saltwater species. Or that's uh, that's uh, super interesting because one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is the striped bass. It's a saltwater species, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot yes. of people may be confused. I I may be one of them. Um, you have the striped bass that runs the coast that people are crazy about fishing for all the way up and down the Northeast coast. Um, it's a very sought after fish and it can also be a fish that there's been a moratorium on their fish where you can't fish for them because they were so pressured. Um, they're good to eat. They're great to fish for. Um, lots of people get out on the beaches. They'll fish in wetsuits. They'll fish all night. They'll fish. it, It, it is a fish that that drives people insane. It's a lot oh, yeah. like a lot like a tarpon, a lot like a bonefish, a lot like you know some of these fish that just drive people insane. The striped bass is definitely one of those in the saltwater. Yeah. Now the now where people might get confused is there's there's striped bass in freshwater that you fish mm-hmm. for. That's your that's your fish, and then. There are also all these hybrid bass that look kind of similar to. They have stripes on them too. So tell us, tell us about the the striped bass and why these fish are in saltwater and in the reservoirs in Tennessee. Well, they they figured out, I guess, back in the I don't know the forties or fifties when they dammed up Santee Cooper in uh, South Carolina. It's the uh, Marion and Moultrie rivers, I believe. They dammed those up and they realized that the stripers can you know thrive in fresh water you know they run way up these rivers to lay their eggs they would run up 150 or so miles every you know and they they do this in all the rivers on the east coast they run up there to spawn mm-hmm. and then you know, they'll lay their eggs and then the eggs will hatch and it takes 72 hours at two miles an hour for their eggs to hatch and then go back into the ocean so that's about 150 miles but when they dammed up the, 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 the Santee Cooper and they realized that, you know, hey, stripers, not a, they get real big. They're ferocious feed uh, eaters and they help control shad populations. So they have started stocking stripers in a lot of uh, uh, reservoirs. Uh, but you have to have some cool, you know, have to have cool water mm-hmm. for these stripers to, to really thrive. At. So they've, they've kind of figured out which reservoirs they would do good in and they put them in and. East Tennessee has an abundance of uh, reservoirs that, that, you know, the stripers thrive in. So the cool water comes from springs and also depth. Is that where, yeah, where are you most getting? Of, uh, well, you have, you have, you have the man-made dams, mm-hmm. which the water that comes out through the dams is cool. 
Yeah, the bottom. But you also yeah, but that'd be the river down below, right? So yes. the lake, the, you're talking about the reservoir. Like, are they looking for reservoirs with, with springs or are they looking for very deep reservoirs or like what? Yeah, I would say the, uh, the majority of the ones like Norris Lake is a mountain fed stream. Okay. Or a reservoir. So they have streams and yeah, they do have big springs and that's where you, you, you would have some strikers in some reservoirs that you, you might not think should be there, but the reason they can thrive is they have big underwater springs. Mm, gotcha. You know, they, they use them. And so. one question before we move on from that. So those stripers that went into, that they dammed up in Santee Cooper, did they um, continue to reproduce naturally if they can't no. go out into the ocean? So once they're in, then they don't reproduce anymore. Yeah. And okay. like I said, the eggs have to, they have to stay in suspension. For 72 hours. Mm -hmm. So that's 72 hours at two miles an hour, 144 mile long river. And, uh, you know, the rivers just aren't that long before they fall out. Right. The way they design our reservoirs, our, our rivers are 20 miles long. Right. Before they'll settle out. So everything that you're fishing for is a fish that is not going to reproduce? Yes, correct. Okay. And and that would be the case just because they're, they're in fresh water. But the saltwater fish that are on the coast, they're running up these rivers and that's why they're on the coast right they're going along the coast yeah, hit, hitting up these rivers like the hudson river probably is a big yeah, area and you'll hear about the big the, the big river run that's what they do is they're they're running up to spot. right okay that makes more sense but the actual biology of the fish the one that you catch in melton hill reservoir and the one that somebody might catch off of massachusetts is the same fish yes okay yes they are Right. Okay. So that clears it up for a lot of people. I mean, you kind of hear that and you kind of look at the fish and some, but the lake run fish look so much bigger or not lake run fish, but the ones that you're catching are so fat and so big. And the other ones, the natural stripers out in the ocean seem to be more thin, more athletic looking. They probably have a lot more predators um, well, they have a lot more area they have to cover to catch up, keep up with the bait. Yeah. Whereas on a reservoir or a river, you don't have to go very far. The bait's going to come to you for the right. most part. You know, these stripers will sit on a point and just kind of wait for a ball of bait to come by. This, you know, the waters are so much more fertile here in the reservoirs that we have here. And that's kind of part of the reason why they put stripers in there is just because the bait populations need to be kept in check. Yeah. So well, it's working. Yeah, they're, they're they, chunky. I mean, it's working because, I mean, a big portion of or a big part of of uh, stocking programs is to raise money for, you know, like the, the environment. Like when we buy fishing license, when we buy when when anglers come into town, it's good for the economy. It's good for so many things. The you know, that fishing license money goes towards conservation. Our fishing tackle money goes towards conservation. So, I mean, that's kind of the idea. Get people out on the water, have them, you know, enjoy themselves, catch a trophy fish right there. And, and it's working, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, they put two hundred and fifty thousand stripers a year in uh, Watts Bar Reservoir, and uh, yeah, that kind of fuels several other reservoirs because they do move through the uh, through the dams. They'll go through the uh, the locks when they open the locks up, and fish will be introduced into you know other reservoirs. So it's, uh, it's it definitely is uh, it really helps that. And, yeah, it's all dependent upon stocking and buying fishing licenses. Right. So it might be. Um ground you don't want to necessarily tread in 
but I'm super interested because the best, the best saltwater fishing guides that I know are the ones that know the bait the best. The best mm-hmm. offshore guides always get their bait. On tough yep. days, they get the bait. And mm-hmm. it's not about where the fish are or if the fish are biting, but if you're still trying to catch bait at noon, you're probably not going to have a great day. Somebody that caught bait at right. 8.30 is yep. probably going to have a great day. But it's all yep. about knowing that bait. And the best fishermen I know know the bait, whether they're, whether they're artificial lure fishermen or they never throw a cast net once in their life. They know where that bait is, and they know how okay. the fish respond to that bait. You are similar in that you live and die by by the the skipjack herring. How yep. do you how do you keep your finger on the pulse of where they are? I spend way more time scouting bait than I do anything else. Um, and not only do I have to find out where the skipjacks are, I have to find out where the threadfin shad are. Nope. Because the threat and shed or what the skipjacks are eating. I got you. Okay. So there's, a, there's a, you know, it, 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 we have to catch bait to catch bait. Mm-hmm. And I spend a lot of time, you know, certain times of the year after July, you have billions and billions of little tiny thread, thread fin shed all over the lake. But if you know where those spawning grounds are, that's where the skipjacks are going to be. Hmm. So a day with you starts out by catching bait. That's how we've always started catching bait. Explain the bait catching process. So, uh, you know, I use a couple of different methods. Uh, Sabiki rigs works. Uh, Sometimes I'll take two little crappie jigs, maybe 18, 20 inches apart, throw those. uh, You know, we'll use a popping cork with a jig on it. Sometimes Uh, we'll use spoons. It's just, I start out with, several different things and we we go with uh what they're biting the best uh i'm going to try to get 10 to 15 skipjacks uh put them in my bait tank i've got a 100 gallon bait tank and it's uh i think that's kind of a necessity that's why i had to get a big big boat i've got that 26 foot boat to uh store all my rods and everything plus have that 100 gallon bait tank and room to move around Mm-hmm. I think uh, I think that's what's kind of set me apart from the other fishing guides is that's a huge investment just to have a, a boat that size just to haul a bait tank. Uh, you know, you got to have to go all in if you're going to do the skipjack. Deal. Yeah, but the bait tank that you have is not just a normal bait tank. Like, no. it's got it's, it's got a filter on it, right? Like, how? What's difficult about keeping, I mean, every, every bait that we keep, we keep everything from pinfish to pilchers to ballyhoo to, to uh, skip. Or we have a thread fin herring ourselves and every bait, you know, you have to be kind of careful about it. You, you, you use D hookers and don't touch some baits. You can cast net other baits. Then you can only put so many baits in, in certain wells and you learn all this over time. What is hard about keeping the, the skipjack? What's the challenge? First of all, they need, cold water, cooler water. They need plenty of area to swim around because they don't sit still. They are always constantly moving. I guess they have to. Um, You need to have the salinity right. That's one thing that most people have to worry about with freshwater bait is you have to maintain a certain salinity. Hmm. So I actually have a little meter on my boat that you know, keep the salinity right where it needs to be. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. 
Altacovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tacovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Now, well, even if you're even if you're using the water from the right where you caught it from, you yeah. you fill yeah, your tank you with that, and then then mm-hmm. the salinity can get off with the yeah, bait there in there. If you if you don't have, I mean, you know, we're fresh water, but the bait if you you have to add salt to that water, or the bait the ammonia levels just go out the huh. roof, and those fish will turn red nose, and just nothing's going to touch it. So, wow! Yeah. It's, yeah, wow, it, that, it, that's it, probably it, a that's probably a hard lesson to learn. Oh yeah, how long did it take uh, you to learn that? Killed, <laughs> yeah, nobody's killed more bait than I have, and that's what <laughs> I, I have killed more bait than anybody. But that's how you learn. That that is how you learn. And so <laughs> oh, on the yeah. days where you're you're um, I mean, are, are you having some tough days sometimes where you're not catching the bait? I have a few tricks up my sleeve that it's got to be very bad conditions not to get bait nice i i've got a I, i've got a kind of a a few techniques uh i invested in the live scope and that thing right there i can see and and skipjacks have a particular way they swim they 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 move real fast and they kind of go in circles hmm. so i can look at that live scope i can pull into a cove i can pan around that cove and sit there and look at each individual school of fish and I can tell those are skipjacks and you know exactly how far they are out, how deep they are. So you can take your jigs, throw them out to that school, let them sink down and get them more often than not. Hmm. So it's, uh, you know, that little tool right there, you know, they throw out the word game changer that, you know, when you can sit there and look at the fish and see just by the movement, what they are and then go catch them. Yeah. That's, that's next level stuff. Yeah. Right there. Lawrence came out with, with similar uh, technology this year and we've been using it. Uh-huh. And w- the first time we used it, we marked tarpon with it and they were like swimming oh, yeah. through by the bridge and it was unbelievable. Then we could throw our lures out there and we could see how the fish are reacting to it. But then the other thing that we started using it for were the mullet, like the mullet, oh, yeah. will, the mullet will make a mud, you know, and we're in there trying to throw the casket. Oh, yeah. And so you're looking for one to flip or do something. Otherwise you have no idea. It's just muddy water. You can't see anything oh, yeah. until this new technology and you start panning yeah. around with this and you see a school of oh, yeah. mullet coming at you and you're like, okay, three, two, one, throw. And yeah. boom, you just caught 50. 
It's amazing. You know how many you know how many is in your net before you pull the net up. It's amazing. You know? Yeah, if you because you can see sometimes we would throw the net and you would see the bait swim right under the net as the net's falling yep. and you're like I don't think oh, you yeah. got any and maybe you come up with one or two. And it's like, well, yep. we were on them, but it's just oh, yeah. it's too deep or too slow. Now, um that's that's super cool, man. That that bait catching oh, yeah. and what you're doing with the with the bait is is really cool, but I would imagine that that is the most difficult part of your of your job. It is, it is, but you know, it's, I also love the challenge though, too, you know, mm-hmm. cause I am kind of one of the only guys that, that really does this. It is, it's kind of neat that, you know, I, so quote unquote, I figured a lot of it out. Yeah. So, in that hundred gallon tank, uh, you're being so careful with your, with your baits. How many, how many baits can you put in a hundred gallons without damaging would, them? And, you know, let's say an average 15 inch skipjack, I can probably put 15 in there and keep mm-hmm. them all day. So they need a lot of, you know, they need a lot of water. Like if those were mullet, we could put, we could put, uh, I don't know, 50 in a, in that same mm-hmm. amount of water. And well, yeah. the mullet are smaller, a little smaller, but anyway, um, that, uh, that, that's super challenging. So a 16 inch mullet, I mean, a 16 inch, uh, skipjack, how, what fish eats that 20 pounder, 30 oh, pounder? Yeah. 20 pounders have no problem gobbling those things down. No problem. So, yeah, no problem. <laughs> that's what I like, man. Big bait, big fish. That's yeah. the first thing I, I thought when I went fishing with you. I was like, that's bait <laughs> right on. This oh, is yeah, going to be yeah. fun. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. And just walking them, you know, beat them up is, is, is half the fun, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, basically just, uh, doing what they're going to do in nature anyway. It's just, you get to be part of it. Yeah. You know, they're eventually going to get them anyway. So, well, one of the best bites in all of fishing, in my opinion, is a tarpon eating a live mullet. And a lot oh, yeah. of fly fishermen miss out on this because they, they never get to see it. But man, mm-hmm. if you're a tarpon fisherman, you should see a tarpon eat a live mullet. And oh. I'll tell you what, a close yeah. second is a giant striper eating one of these skipjack herring. It is, it's oh. pretty awesome, man. What, what you Actually, got going on? Especially when, and this happened today, you know, we saw this earlier today, when that striper gets zoned in on that skipjack, he'll come right up to the boat, just sitting there, just pounding it right at the boat, <laughs> you know, and you're sitting there watching this, this striper's oblivious to you sitting there. And it's just, you know, it's an awesome thing to watch. And, it would use the boat, right? Like if, if it pinned it up against the boat, it would probably use the I, boat. I've had them, yeah. I've had them just smack it right up against it and take off with it. Just like if it was a I've log, like you're like a log floating out in the middle of the river. If that bait got up against that log he's gonna smash it oh yeah yeah we've uh and we've we've done so many different i've seen them all knock them you know two feet out of the water and you know i've uh shot some really cool videos of the drone you know overhead and you think it's you know one striper chasing a skipjack and you watch the drone video and there's 20 of them down there really isn't that cool oh yeah that's so cool and it it really shows you it's pretty cool to see how cautious they are too, though. You know, these, these fish are, I think they're a little smarter than, uh, than we give them credit for. One thing I have noticed, and I, I explained this to a lot of people, you know, that striper sitting up there at the, you know, pounding on that skipjack. And they said, why isn't he eating it? I said, well, my theory is that that's a male striper wanting to kill that skipjack for a female. Mm. So I have actually, uh, and this I guess one of my secrets, but I'll go ahead and tell it. I will actually take a skipjack, bash it over the head, 
and throw it out there under a balloon. And it's not a 15 pounder that comes up and grabs it. It's a 28 to 34 pounder. It's hmm. the female. So my theory is that male stripers sometimes will kill the bait, let it sink down. And the, and the, the big female will grab it. Really? So, That's yeah, interesting. Do that on my trip. Yeah. It's, it's pretty neat. We, uh, and I figured that out just years ago, just, you know, frustrated. So why aren't these things eating them or, you know, uh, or they they just hit it, hit it, hit it, hit it. And I could see that the fish wasn't that big of a fish, but then when it sinks down and grabs it, that was a big one. Yeah. Like, ah, that the female. Well, it's so, like that, that happens, almost, that happens once. And you're like, that's, that's interesting. Happens three yeah. or four or five times. You're like something, there's something to yeah. that. Like every and, time and that then, happens, when I catch a big fish. Yeah. And then, you know, now I just, uh, when I, when I see that they're just hitting at it, I said, Hey, watch this. So I'll pull out my boga grip, bash them over the head, throw it out there and bam, we're catching fish. Hmm. So you know, it's little tricks that you learn along the way. And you, you kind of, you gain much more respect for these fish because they are way more complex than we, we probably ever thought they were. What do you know about uh, like the life cycle and the complexity of these stripers and how, how, what, what does the program look like for the stocking? Well, um, I know Norris, they'll put 125,000 fish in and they're two inches. Uh, Watts bar, they'll put 250,000 in. So each lake has different numbers, but they try to put them into two inches and, you know, they, uh, they kind of grow kind of quick, you know, these, uh, 10 pound stripers, they might be three to four years old, excuse me. And then, you know, when they get up to 20 pounds, they're probably, you know, eight to nine years old. You know, we start, they'll get up to 30 pounds, that's probably 13 to 14. And then, you know, they'll get on up to 20 to 25 years old, some of these bigger ones. So, you know, these, these fish that these guys like to put on the wall, you know, they're probably older than their kids. So, you know, it's not like a deer that that only lives six years. These fish can do 25 years, 25 years. uh, That's that's really old. Yeah. That was 65 pounds. I mean, they've been proven to grow that big here. Wow. And, um, you're, 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 I mean, it says loud and clear right on your website. And one of the first things you say to to everybody, uh, even me, I had no interest in killing one of these fish, but, uh, you're a hundred percent catch and release. Always have been. Always have been. Tell me about that decision. Well, uh, I kind of grew up fishing for 60-pound fish. But then as I get into it, I realized how rare they are. And there's only certain places that you can even achieve that in, you know. So it it takes a real special environment to grow a fish that big in just a long time. So, you know, yeah, 40-pounders are really, really nice fish, but man, you let that fish go if the water temps will allow it and the fish can get bigger. It's, you know, it's 15, 16 years on its way to being a, a 50 to 60 pounder. So I've, I've kind of seen the pinnacle of how good it can be, but I've also with, uh, you know, the internet and all this, I, I've seen the decline in a lot of areas. Hmm. So I'd you- rather, I, you know, me being selfish, I'd rather just see them swimming and give right. everybody a chance. To right. And 
you uh what's the culture in the in the, in the clientele and the in the people who want to come catch stripers i mean you've been doing this for a long time so people probably know what they're getting at this point but it probably wasn't always that way when you have a no. uh, catch and release policy on your boat yeah i've had some people that would say hey you're are you seriously catch and release and I say, if you want to mount a fish, you know, there's plenty of other guys that will, will take you, you know, and let you mount, you know, catch fish and mount them. But, you know, I don't want to use, you know, I don't want to use my boat or my methods to go out and target these fish just to kill them. I mean, uh, we, we've had them die unintentionally. And, you know, if that happens, yeah, but to go out and say, I want to go, you know, put one on the wall. Yeah. Get a replica mount or I even offer canvas prints of my pictures if you want you want yeah. something to hang on the wall well i would so. think that what is the replica mount situation because i mean down in the i mean nobody kills a fish and sends it to the taxidermist anymore in the in the keys and yeah. that's one of the places where you mount the most fish in the entire world everything's a replica mount yeah i i think uh stripers are such a complex paint job that i just don't I haven't seen too many of them that really, really look good. Really. I said, I've, I've got a replica mount and I was like, eh, it's okay. But, uh, you know, just until somebody maybe down there, can, can they, do it. they could do it. I mean, they can do it. They can do these, they can do, you know, a dolphin. Um, and what they're doing is they're taking a photograph of the fish mm-hmm. and, if you go into a place like King sailfish mounts or whatever, he's got, mm-hmm. he's got, well, I mean, sailfish is one of the fish that he mounts. So let's just use that for an example. He's got literally thousands of molds of sailfish. So if you caught one that was a certain girth and a certain length, he's got one that's within a, a half an inch, yeah. uh, within a millimeter yeah. of the fish that you caught, because yeah. over the years, he's just got so many of these. Then he takes a picture of it. And if it has a damaged tail, if it has something interesting going on with the sail, if it has some interesting colorations or a scar on it, he incorporates all of that. And he just sits there and he is like a legitimate super artist with a, uh, 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 what do you call it? The, um, the gun airbrush. And, uh, and he just sits there and does it. And I guarantee you he could do a striped bass. I mean, hundred percent like that would i would think that that would be way easier than than some of these other fish that he's that he's doing but i don't know might be worth giving it a shot he's uh he's a nice guy to work with uh anyway um so uh what um what do you you're you're fishing 300 days a year and Mm -hmm. you're as excited to go out tomorrow as you were the day before what what drives you day to day I guess working in an office for 10 years, you know, doing the environmental geology thing, you know, I was miserable. You know, I guess that's one, one uh, factor. I don't want to go back to that, you know, but, you know, I enjoy seeing people do things they've never done before. You know, I don't have to catch another striper, you know, consider my fishing career complete. I, but I do, I do enjoy seeing the kids do it. I enjoy taking out guys that are in their mid eighties <laughs> that have fished their whole lives and said, I've never caught a fish like this. You know, I, I, that just gets me, you know, cause I want to be that guy, you know, to go out and really enjoy it is, you know, we only got so long here. So that's uh, 
part of what gets me going and every morning, you know, four thirty, five o'clock, I'm ready to go, you know. And uh, yeah, I'm forty two now. I've probably fished as much as anybody over the last twenty years and I can see myself doing it another twenty years. <laughs> um the, the sun and the, the heat gets to me, you know, I'm going to kind of next year do half day only. I'm, you know, after 10 o'clock in the morning, it's pretty, uh, and I've come to realize it's efficient. It's not worth it, but that's, yeah, that's, patient, I mean, that's when you're getting the most action from sun before oh, sunrise yeah. to 10 o'clock. Yeah. Well, my, you know, my saying is fish don't have eyelids and they can't wear hats or sunglasses. So <laughs> when you start reaching for your shades, uh, they kind of really slow down. And when you start hearing the jar flies in the trees, you know, and the sun's peeking through. And there's one one other thing that I, I tell people all the time. There's a couple of bald eagles that stay below Melton Hill Dam. And when they're real low to the water, fishing's good. But as those bald eagles make their way up the ridge and you can see them sitting way up on top of the ridge, that's when the fishing's over with. Hmm. So, so what, what, what correlation are you making with the eagles? I think uh, the bait and they, they sit up there and they see bait fish cruising by, you know, I can, we'll have a skipjack get knocked off and it's crew. It goes, it goes a quarter, half mile down the river. And then it comes up and that bald Eagle will go get it and then take off. <clears throat> so they're sitting up there watching, they see, you know, all these clouds of bait fish come up. They see the strappers, you know, the blue herons and everything. They see all that stuff. You know, got Eagle eyes. They got a bird's eye view of, of the situation so they can they can tell when all that bait starts going down. And I can tell, too, because I got the live, the, the live scope. When everything starts going down, the fish just don't want to come up. So And so they have to get higher on the ridge to be able to see down into the water, just like yeah, we do on the, just, I think on the they skiff. Just go, I, I think, yeah, I think they're just done. They just, you know, they... Uh, they're done feeding. So they'll, they'll go up there and keep an eye on things, but they're, they don't attack our baits. They just sit up there and uh, chill out. That's, that's interesting. Kind of that's what, Man, it is yeah. amazing how far away those eagles can see a bait fish. Oh yeah. Um, we had one, oh, yeah. we were fishing by the seven mile bridge and we were fishing with live mullet and we just had one live mullet. It, it died, threw it out behind the boat and changing bait. And there was a bald eagle sitting on the seven mile bridge and it came from way away swooped down and got that single mullet right behind the boat. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Um, you probably have that happen way more than we do in the, in the keys, but that was, yeah. I, I've never seen a bald Eagle right there at that spot. Yeah. I mean, but further back in the Everglades, we see him all the time, but that particular mm-hmm. spot was just strange. And then he flew so far away to eat it. And that's where he came from. Like mm-hmm. th- it was so far away. It would be so cool to have eyes like an eagle. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> you would be able to see anything. Yep. But you know, when I do this stuff every single day, so I get to anticipate that. And you know, it really helps, you know, to sit there and say, Hey, you know, and I'll tell people ahead of time, I said, you see that bald eagle? I said, these fish are going to bite until that bald eagle goes up. And more often than not, you know, when that sun comes up over the ridge and there just seems to be dead and you look up and the eel's gone. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's all about just, you, you, and that's what I do is I give everybody the effort as much effort as I can until the fish quit. 
And, you know, I think uh, people now know what to expect. You know, I'm not going to sit out there all day long in the sun and just fry myself. I'm already. Ugh. Yeah, you <laughs> look pretty, you look pretty, today, pretty red today, man. <laughs> I am. I am. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, but that's, something. you know, just patterns you figure out, you know, every day. And that's how you can fish 300 days a year is you pace yourself. You fish the best times. You know, I'm constantly looking at the uh, Salooner table. There's an app that I use that gives you the, 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 the best hunting and fishing times. And, you know, I tell people, I say, hey, man, they, these things, you know, we might want to wait around because, you know, there's a major feed coming up at 1030. And, you know, I, I think that weather does trump the moon phases. But mm-hmm. man, you can you can actually get on some bites that you you might not expect if you do you know pay attention to the have you have you kept a journal over these years? I have not. This is the first year that I've actually logged how many strappers we've we've caught. Uh, you know, and I kind of just I'm, I just now found this app back in January, and I was like, I'm just going to try because I. You know, I would tell people, I, say, I, I have no idea how many strappers we've actually land in a, in a given year. Uh, but so far, you know, it, it's October 12th, and I think I'm at 780 strappers over 15 pounds. Those are nice. the only ones I kind of uh, You'd be so, like, you know, you'd be like my boys in Louisiana that have a, a, a door, doorman's clicker on a little board that they yeah. keep on the right by their trolling motor and hit it with their foot every time you catch a fish. And, uh, yeah. man, I couldn't believe that when I first went there, but you know, they, they said, well, how many fish do you think we've caught today? And I was like, I don't know, like 60. They said 32. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's why you do it because you know, yeah. they, they keep account every single one. And if you actually count them, it's not as many as you think. It's real easy yeah. to say, man, we must have caught a hundred fish today. In your brain, and that's what we get me is your brain. You hook a fish and lose it, you still think you count that in your head as you know, it's yeah. hard to keep up with it. But so I just uh, I use uh, that Angler's Log app and uh it's pretty I'm not probably not gonna do it next year too, but it does I can look at a picture of a fish caught, you know, fifteen years ago and I don't know exactly where it's at and you know, give me a date when that picture was caught. Yeah. I'll go try that spot again. Yeah. yeah. Well, that is interesting with the with the apps and the technology. Even just when you take a picture on your phone, it will oh, yeah. record the date and the time. And mm-hmm. that is pretty interesting because we were just doing it the other day where we we um we were catching uh triple tail. And mm-hmm. I was like, I wonder what time of the day it was when we caught these before. And I went through my phone and sure enough, I found the picture and it said exactly what time I took that picture. And that was interesting because then you can then from that, you can look back at exactly what the tide was doing. Like you, oh, yeah. you can go back through the, the tide tables and look at, oh, yeah. at the old times. But I mean, it's really there was one point where I was talking about like recording the most important thing to record, like in a situation where you, you're, you're fishing against the tides is the time of the day that you caught the fish and where you caught the fish. And so if you just take a picture of it now, you've done the time of the day. So you got the date and the time and the picture of the fish on your phone. Well, that's one of the steps. All you got to do is remember where it was. Then you can hit your GPS mark and you're good to go. And then oh, yeah. you can go back with just that information. You can go back and figure out what the tide was at home later when you, you know, so that you can replicate that situation. Um, that's you talked about technology before you've, you've talked about a couple of different things. Um, what have been the biggest changes that, that scope 
the live scope or or what Lawrence is calling yeah. uh, active target is is the same kind yeah. of technology. And then you mentioned drones. What else have you used that have changed the way that you fish? Uh, that's a good question. Um, of course, you know, just cell phones and stuff, being able to share information. I, I have a couple of buddies that, you know, they might slip up and, and show a picture and, you know, you kind of can tell the background there, mm-hmm. but, uh, I guess, man, I, besides, you know, I, I can't th- really think of anything that's really changed it too much beside those two, but, uh, you know, I guess mapping, you know, the, the mapping software and stuff is, is really, really helped. But Google earth, I think is one that's, you know, you can, you know, hear, you know, basically with these landlocked strippers, you know, you can find any boat ramp now and that's kind of a, a good or bad thing, you know, but, uh, I think now, you know, with Google earth, people can watch a video and start picking out the landmarks <laughs> and, you know, you can find stuff there, but, uh, that yeah, leads to the of, uh, that leads uh, to the discussion of social media and responsible use of social media for your yeah. for your uh, but I, for fishing guides. What do you? What's your opinion uh, there? I, I think it's a necessary evil. You know, I think uh, you have to get the word out there because uh, you know word of mouth is the best form of advertising. But you still want to show you've got a, an audience you still want to show that yeah we're catching fish so you you have to do the instagram or i feel like i have to yeah uh, and do the facebook and you know just to let people know hey i'm still here so you know i don't post every fish i catch i don't make youtube videos i think youtube is is really you know kind of uh damaged uh, you know some of the 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 good spots around here especially on the skipjacks uh you know <laughs> several of our uh, youtube local youtubers like to expose the skipjack spots and i'm kind of bitter about that but I, mm. I i can't patent my fishing techniques or my location so i just uh i'm a hush hush about a lot of stuff yeah you know, I, I show yeah we catch strippers but that's about really it is a I fine do. line it's a very fine line yeah because yeah. I mean, I don't know, man, when, when, when I first started fishing, it was the the first one at the boat ramp and the last one to leave. And that's who, you know, you, you're like, I wonder whose truck that is. And then you figure it out yeah. and then you're like, okay, yeah. you guys got a little respect, you know? And then, then mm-hmm. I don't know, it's just changed so much. Um, now, now it's yeah. mostly social media. Yeah. They want that, the instant gratification as soon as they catch a fish, they're putting it or they'll do the Facebook live. Uh, you know, a lot of guides around here that, you know, the out of state guides kind of don't really respect anything that we've done. So they'll go Facebook live when they catch fish and, you know, and that's basically just broadcasting to the, you know, their whole audience that, Hey, they're catching fish right here, right now. You know, that's kind of irresponsible. Yeah. You know, if you want to put a video, you know, once the fish have moved off a spot, you know, that's, that makes more sense than saying, Hey, you know, right here right now come on let's go and you know that leads to a uh, way too many people fishing these spots and you know when the fish get over pressured they're gone they'll move so yeah uh, I, i'm a little bitter about that but i've been <laughs> burned a couple times yeah well but you know it's, it. it's the world we live in unfortunately <laughs> and and um yeah oh yeah but there are fish there's fish all over the place too. they big fish 
you know, when there's a lot of boats that move into an area, the big fish that have been caught before, they, I think they move. And so, you know, I've kind of got plan B's if there, you know, too many boats in an area. I've got plenty of other places to go. Well, so. you're obviously doing a lot of things right to be booking that many days and, and, and going out. And I can say, uh, just from my own personal experience, you're a good, you're a good guy to spend the day with. And you know a lot about the fishing that you're, that you're doing and, and you make it a, a an enjoyable time. I've, I've taken my kids with yeah. you. I've taken other people with you. It's been, it's been great. I look forward to doing yeah. it again. Um, okay. what, what would, what would somebody do if they want to book a trip with you? Um, how, are you booked up way in advance or how does somebody do it? it? It really depends. April, May, I'll book those, you know, I'm almost already booked. I may have a couple of days left, left in April, 2022. So I've actually booked trips into 2023 already. Uh, you know, just get on my website, meltonhillbill.com. All the information's up there. All my available dates are up there. You know, I'm pretty easy to get a hold of, you know, my Instagram, Facebook. You know, I'm well, April and May, is that your peak? Is that what you would consider the peak? So, my th- Well, I, in my opinion, that's when they go to spawn. All these strippers, you know, we talked about them running up the rivers out of the ocean. Well, mm-hmm. they run up out of the reservoirs to certain areas up the rivers here. So I have figured out, you know, where a lot of these big congregations of, you know, your spawning females, uh, I figured out where they go. So, and a lot of times I've realized is it's kind of like a largemouth bass on a bed. You put something in front of them, they're not necessarily going to eat it, but they will kill it. Mm-hmm. And one thing that they do not, they really don't want around the area where they're trying to spawn is something that's going to eat their eggs. A frisky skipjack. They do, they do not, they will kill every one of them. <laughs> so I, I kind of figured that out early in the process. And that's why I ran a jet boat. I ran a jet boat to get up to those spawning grounds. So. And that happens April, uh, April and May. Yeah. But then yeah, April. Um, I've, I've fished with you in the dead of winter in duck hunting clothes. And uh, we did great then also. Yeah. That so. was, it, we were fishing that bull run coal fired powered steam plant. That's right. That water was probably in the low sixties. They didn't. They didn't know it was January. Yeah. So, yeah. They, but you can catch fish all, all the whole year long. So. Oh yeah. Know. Yeah. We, there's not a week out of the year. I don't expect to catch a 30 pound fish because I can always find the, the, the right temps and, and stripers are a cold water fish. So, you know, their, their metabolism doesn't really slow down here until 44 degrees. That seems to be where they'll quit eating the skipjacks. They might eat smaller bait shiners and stuff, but man, I just want to, catch them on the skipjack. So when the water gets, you know, 45 or below, I'll just move to the steam plants. Mm. And that's when they really pile up in these steam plants. And we got several of them around here. Yeah. So that's I've cool. always got somewhere to go. If it gets too much colder than that, I might take a week off. <laughs> but, uh, I don't think you will. I really don't. I, I don't I, think you will. I'm, I'm even, I'm even yeah. questioning whether you're going to take half days tomorrow, but by judging by your sunburn today, I think you might need to. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It, it's pretty embarrassing too. So it stopped. Right oh here. yeah. Nice. That's, that's, <laughs> that's sweet, that's man. Bad. That yeah, needs to nah, be the, uh, you need to send, take a selfie with you out your hat on and let me use that for the, uh, for the thumbnail for this podcast. That would be amazing. Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah. Um, I started going to church with my wife and it's one of those come as you are churches. So I, I can wear my hat. 
coach, so they don't mind. <laughs> so, well, you stand no, we, out a lot more when you take your hat off. If they make you take your hat off, yeah, people, you know, it's, and it's just just time on the water. That's how you get this. So. That's right, man. That's right. Well, Billy, it's been yeah. great catching up with you. I look forward to fishing with you yeah. again. And if anybody oh, wants yeah. to have a, a a great experience, um, you know, I mean, this is a trip worthy of leaving the keys. A lot of people leave the keys. They go up North and they go to Tennessee or Georgia or, um, and a lot of people are coming your way around that Knoxville oh, yeah. area. They want to see the mountains. They want to get a little cooler weather. Yeah, this no. is one you put on your list right here. This is a great one. Yeah, I'm right off I-75. So you can just come right up to 75. And yeah, I'm right near Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, Dollywood. So I'm about 45 minutes away. So you can, uh, there you go. You can come you do all with me that. while you're watching cops. So. There you go. Sounds good, man. All right, Billy. Thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. You have a good one. See you. You want to succeed you want to fish you want to be one of the greatest tune in to west marines life on the water presented by costa custom boats every saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m eastern on waypoint tv pursuing wild game in wild places tune in to hunt stand presents saturdays at 8 30 p.m eastern waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment